Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Aaron Bendage, the man behind the record label Borscht Beat, and its new spinoff imprint, Offbeat, as in B-E-E-T, where he's releasing the new work from the broad world of Jewish musical expression. Welcome. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Always fun to have you on the podcast. Um, You've been a guest before. For those of our listeners who missed that episode years ago when you were launching your other venture, um, can you just give a little bit of background about how you found your way to music, uh, Yiddish music, etc.? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So since since my uh, earliest years, my earliest memories, I was raised around Jewish music, primarily coming from my wonderful grandfather, Max Bendich, who uh, was quite old when I was born. He was uh, he was pushing 80 when I was born and lived another uh, 25 years to the ripe old age of 105. And during that period of time, starting when I was born up until his his really his final week of, of life, he was sharing Jewish music with me and instilling in me a deep and profound love of uh culture in general, Jewish culture, Jewish cinema, uh, Jewish music, Jewish literature, but also just broadly speaking, all sorts of of, uh, wonderful ethnic cultural media. And uh, his, my relationship with him inspired me to start collecting Jewish records, and eventually uh, inspired me to start playing selections from my Jewish record collection on the radio. Uh, During the pandemic, that interest in Jewish radio blossomed, and I was able to create a show originally called Laughing with Lizards and then rebranded as Borscht Beat that I was able to distribute to three radio stations, including one in the Catskills, WJFF Radio Catskills. So that's uh, also in the meantime, I became very involved in the New York City uh, and eventually the global Klezmer music and Yiddish language cultural scene. I, uh, I've I've been very fortunate to get to know a lot of wonderful musicians, actors, scholars, and other enthusiasts. And that sort of situated me in the position I am in now to be so involved in uh, Jewish music cultural production. So let's now move to your latest venture, the launch of your record label, which I will say is a very brave and exciting move. Tell me what precipitated that and how it all came about. Absolutely. So so I started the current iteration of my radio program back in December of 2020, and it it really took off. People were listening, giving me feedback. I was able to play work by musician friends of mine and became friends with additional musicians through the process of playing their work on the radio. Uh, I think part of it is, you know, any opportunity to get your music out there, uh, particularly when you're in a niche like Jewish music, is is uh, something to, to not be overlooked for a musician. So it, my my involvement and relationships with musicians blossomed as my radio show did. And sometime during the summer of, of 2021, when I'd already been doing the radio program for nearly a year, I had a conversation with Ilya Schneves, who's just a fantastic, uh, talented, klezmer musician, multi-instrumentalist who uh, 
perhaps most commonly seen playing this accordion. And the, the idea had crossed my mind that beyond simply, quote unquote, simply playing the music on the radio for, for radio audiences, it would be amazing to become more involved on the commercial release and distribution side of the of the business, and perhaps also the production and recording side. Uh, as a record collector, I've I've I have an eye for and a interest in the history of Jewish record labels. That's just a that's a whole rabbit hole there that I've been down and continue to delve into. Uh, so I spoke to Ilya and asking him what the process generally was for for uh, artists or klezmer bands to go into the studio and record music, and. He said, well, that's a complicated thing, but we've got an album that we want to release and haven't uh, haven't had a chance to put it out on physical yet. So if you want to be involved, that's one way you can step in. And that got the ball rolling uh, with Ilya's wonderful band, Forspiel. And from there, I've gone on to, uh, well, first of all, I launched my, my record label, Borscht Beat, same name as the radio program back in February, and subsequently released two more uh, albums over the course of the year. And just earlier this month, uh, in at the beginning of December, I announced a new offshoot imprint, uh, what have you, called Offbeat, where I'll be releasing music that is sort of further into the fringes of, of, of Jewish music. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, it's a very, very exciting time. As you noted, it's a it's an unusual uh, venture to to take on at this day and age with the sort of where the world of commercially released music is. But it's an endeavor that I'm really excited to be involved in and brings me closer to music that I love so much. Um, and it, it's fun. I've dusted off my turntable. Um, <laughs> I think we are all doing that. Um, I think it would be interesting to hear your thoughts about the sort of the current Yiddish music scene, because that has to have had some bearing um, on your being brave enough to do this. And I attach the word brave because it is a really cool, gutsy move, um, but it, it timely in some ways. Yes, absolutely. I think. You know, it's it's been something like, well, first of all, it's been something like four decades of the Klezmer revival now, maybe even more than that, uh, depending on when you pinpoint the start of it, perhaps the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, before that, there was not a lot of turnover, new uh, creation of Jewish musical projects, Yiddish language projects, Klezmer music. But since then, there's been a continued boom and explosion. There was a big first wave of Klezmer revival, and a lot of those bands are still around. That's why, almost surprisingly to many, that every major city in the country and perhaps even in the world has at least a couple Klezmer bands in it, and sometimes a bunch. Uh, but to your point, the very contemporary scene in the last five or so years has blossomed in other ways. There's, you know, there's lots of ideas as to why and how that's happening. I think interest in the Yiddish language is certainly transformed in, in recent times. Uh, there's plenty of writing on that, uh, wonderful articles published about the different types of boom that, that's happening right now. But there's a, 
I think now is a great moment where people want to, people want to, I delve into their identities, find ways to align themselves with their cultural histories, and maybe even reclaim elements of their cultural history that they didn't necessarily feel empowered to express and act upon. And with the uh, proliferation of music recording technology, access to the internet, of, of also a strong system of, uh, of grants and other funding for cultural work that uh, in the ethnic cultural realm, we have a lot of great opportunities for people to step into the ring, basically, of Yiddish music or klezmer music or other types of Jewish musical expression and either do a big professionally recorded project or a home recorded project that often enough is of comparable quality to those to those studio recordings, at least to the consumer consumer's ear. Um, yeah. Now is just a it's a it's a great time for it, and not to mention uh, the way that people can publish music now is considerably more democratized with platforms like Bandcamp, even just YouTube or TikTok or other social media platforms. People don't have opportunities to work with record labels and don't need to necessarily to get their music out there. So sort of uh, ironically, almost the opportunity to work with a record label is a much rarer thing. And, and artists seem to be enthusiastic about that prospect of that to gain some, uh, some additional exposure to align themselves with the other artists that, that I'm working with and potentially, ideally, to see some sort of uh, increase in listenership because of their alignment with, with my, my label. It's, it's, it's so true. I mean, I, I, anybody who comes within 20 feet of me will hear me go on about how I think we've moved beyond the revival into the continuum, um, which is that, you know, the obvious ongoing evolution of all of this um no pun intended you know it plays out when we do yidstock um which it was nice to see you at on live um that there's techno stuff going on is just it's wild um some yeah um there's also and you know you kind of alluded to it there and especially i think in the 60s there was a lot with independent record labels um where there was enough of an underground where people wanted to get their work out there and I wonder if you look to any of that for inspiration and where you see the label going. Totally. The, um, so I'm I'm a person with this, a very broad array of cultural interests. So I've got my Jewish interests and then I've got many non-Jewish interests. Um, so, you know, you mentioned electronic music. Back when I was in college over a summer, I had heard about this amazing electronic music label that was primarily releasing cassette tapes, actually, uh, which also are having a revival. Uh, and I reached out to them and asked if I could if I could work with them uh, as something of an unpaid intern. And so back in 2013 or so, I was a remote unpaid intern working with this with Orange Milk Records, helping them do press and promotion for their upcoming album releases. And there was a whole ecosystem blossoming at that time for independent record labels. 
And it so happened that this label, Orange Milk, that I worked with kind of blew up not long after I worked with them. I, I won't take credit. They're incredible, incredible uh, couple of guys who run that label who work with really extraordinary, unique talent. But that was a sort of avenue for me to learn about the contemporary independent record label scene. Now, historically speaking, to your point about the 60s and whatnot, there were, um, I think since since perhaps the 50s or so, the when the LP was popularized over the 78 RPM shellac records, mm -hmm. the ability for independent ventures to result in the mass production or small scale production for that matter of of physical audio media it, it just it, it there was a boom there um because of the the how inexpensive the materials were uh, i when i collect records i always look at the catalog number on on the disc and and often enough if you see that it's triple zero one and it's a label name that you've never heard of it's probably the only record that that label released and uh it's 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 a very common thing for Jewish records. If it's not from one of the handful of independent Jewish record labels, it's likely from a vanity label, essentially. Uh, lots of synagogues release their own records and slap the label on there. Uh, then on the flip side, there were the handful of classic era Jewish record labels that I derive my most of my inspiration from. The great labels being. Uh, Tikva Records, who were incredibly prolific and just released all sorts of Jewish music over the course of several decades. Collectors Guild, which was like the finest of, of the options, in my opinion. They did reissues, new releases. They did stuff from the Ashkenazi world and the Sephardic world. They did religious stuff, really, really extraordinary work there. And then the Greater Recording Company, which did a bunch of reissues. Banner Records, which also did reissues. I can go on and on, uh, but with, with all that said, there was this boom from the 60s uh, or maybe the 50s up through the early 70s that tapered off for Jewish music for some reason. And I uh, I just wanna participate in that tradition, I guess. That's that's my, uh, that's my connection. That's, that's the type of inspiration I'm taking from the past. Uh, you know, one thing that those labels did incredibly was that they were prolific. They weren't one of one, uh, like so many of those vanity labels. They were they were really churning it out, and that's a goal for me. I you know I would love to I would love to provide an opportunity for many many artists and from the the folks that I consider to be heroes, whose whose concerts I go to and marvel at to the folks who no one's heard of before. I'd love to work with all, all, all types. It's so cool that you're creating opportunity for them as well um, and building audience. Another part of LP tradition for me is, um, and somebody who's visual is the cover. Um, covers are beautiful. And I, again, I think it'd be interesting to hear your how you're approaching that because you have great graphics. You also have an amazing collection of album covers. Um, so what's, what's the thinking behind how you're putting the out, putting these out? Yeah. So I have a, I, I have a love and fascinate. I share in your love and fascination with album artwork. 
and uh, when i'm when i'm browsing for records at the record shop first of all i need to be quick on the draw to recognize which ones are jewish records and uh it, that sort of requires a quick but thorough scan of the art as i look at it and i have um I have a lot of thoughts about this. I'll try to keep it concise. Um, each of those late classic Jewish record labels that I mentioned before have their distinctive art styles. That uh, that label, the Great Recording Company, had these incredible, almost collages of the great Yiddish theater performers on their covers. Um, Tikva Records often had, uh, they had a wide variety, but lots of illustrations on their covers. Uh, the, there's just... Each one brought their own flavor, I guess. So, so far, by and large, the way that I've been working with artists is that they've been either coming to me with a completed album cover or an album cover that needs tweaking in some way. The um, Forspiel, the first release I put out, was uh, an incredible, beautiful album cover, psychedelic album cover made by a VMOR. And it, mm -hmm. it's it's really just that that is... Uh, I, I felt like that was like a gift. It's just such a beautiful, ready-made, incredible work of art. The second one, Sveb Reader, who performed at Yitzhak this past year, their album Cosmopolitan, they hired a very incredible uh, visual artist named Audrey Estock, and she made, in a short period of time, mind you, a very... Uh, exceptional illustration of the band performing in what looks like a, a dimly lit cafe of sorts exactly where you'd imagine that the Svebe Reader and Bemala uh, music would be performed um, that also came to me via the artist it was a another sort of uh I'd say like a blessing, a gift from from them, something I didn't have to, there was no back and forth involved. It was just good to go from by my eyes. And then I had a little more back and forth involvement in the third album, Zoe Aqua's Involderein, which is just a, a, a great photograph of her framed by a green text or a green border and yellow text. It's a, it's, it's eye-catching, but simple, and yet it calls directly back to the classic era of Romanian violin records or other instrumental music records that she drew inspiration from musically, visually are reflected in the album cover. So uh, the credit goes to her and her, um, she worked with her father, Hal, on, on, the, on the album artwork but the I, I was pleased to be able to be involved in the in the back and forth process of that and help give some feedback on on the layout design. So <laughs> to answer your question, it's a mix. You know, I, I'm I'm curating music more than I'm curating album artwork, mm -hmm. but I have an incredible amount of respect for the artists I'm working with and and it seems that the mutual respect that we're able to go back and forth and and settle the design details amounts to not only audio that I'm proud of, but visuals, album covers, and other visual materials that I'm also very proud of, proud to be sharing with the world. And maybe that's what um, was in the back of my mind, Aaron, is that, you know, sort of sandwiched between the, the cover is great music, but everything you do, you really do so... 
it's not, it's so considered and it's smart and it's thoughtful and it's really great. Um, so I just hats off to you for that. Um, for listeners, where can they learn more and how do they get albums? Absolutely. Uh, I So the music is on Bandcamp, which is, for those of you who don't know, is a very popular contemporary music sharing, music sales uh, website. Uh, Borscht Beat, B-O-R-S-C-H-T-B-E-A-T dot bandcamp dot com for the sort of mainstream quote unquote stuff I'm doing and offbeat O-F-F dash B-E-E-T dot bandcamp dot com for the the more wild uh, fringy stuff. And all of that can be found on my Instagram at Borscht Beat, B-O-R-S-C-H-T-B-E-A-T. Great. Um, I want to thank you for everything that you're doing. It's really great. Um, you're bringing together a lot of interesting talent and ideas and pushing things forward. I hope you keep up the exciting and I think safe to say surprising work, Aaron. And will you indulge me and our listeners um, as we go off? Can you play some music? Yes, absolutely. I, um, I'll i share with you a wonderful piece from the Svebe Reader and Bamela album. The song is called Mein Heim. again, Aaron. Great to have you on. Good luck with all of this. Stay in touch, drop by, spin a few uh, songs for us, etc. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy. <laughs>